listening to the Thornapple Valley Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Our hope is for you to be encouraged and to connect with God during this message. If you'd like to know more about Thornapple Valley Church, visit tbcweb.com. Well, hello, everybody. It's good to see you all. To those of you joining us online, we're so glad that you're with us. And uh, I understand that some people are uncomfortable with coming back to church. Some people are just out of the habit, and we're looking forward to seeing you soon. But if you're uncomfortable, take your time. That's fine. We want you to know we love you. And maybe you just live too far away and you can't come here. Please let us know if we can serve you in any way. We would love to do that. And to just everybody in the room, welcome, welcome, welcome. So glad to have you. I love being together as a church. I feel like there's a dynamic. Something happens when we're together. It's so powerful. And, uh, and so here we are in a very different way with distancing and all that, and we don't have TVC kids happening. So let's just acknowledge the little elephants in the room. You know, those are the kids with us. And I just want to say to parents, if your kids are noisy, no problem. I said this last week, I'll say it again. If they get loud, I will get louder, all right? So it's all right. Don't be distracted by that, and don't worry about that at all. It's okay. So I want to jump into the talk for this week. You know, when, when, when someone talks about the idea, when you hear the word church, this happens to everybody, you will get a particular image in your head when you hear the word church. Now, for a lot of people, uh, it's not a very positive image. Some people, they think church, they go, oh, yeah, that's a good thing. But a lot of people, they have an image, and I, I have to be honest with you and say that this is kind of what I experienced in many ways as a child, is it's, an, it's a place where people would come together and act like they were holy when everybody, including them, knew that they totally were not holy. And so it's like they come and they behave in a certain way, but it's really not honest and it's not forthright. And I believe, I mean, I, this is something I believe in my heart, that if a church should be anything, we, we should be honest about who we are and where we are because we're not all that holy and we do screw up and we make mistakes and we need to be open and honest about that. And I think... You know, if a church is going to do well, if it's going to serve people well, it has to just be, it's like we have to be forthright about our struggles. We have to be honest about who we are, where we are, all of that stuff, and especially in a season like this, because for some people, it's been a really hard season for you. I mean, with the social distancing and all the things happening in the, in, in the world today, it, it feels like, for some people, like you've had to make some hard decisions, and honesty helps us process that, because, because sometimes the decisions are hard. It's like... It's like a, 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 a letter I read, and I'll keep this anonymous, but a gal wrote this letter. This is, was a while back, kind of at the start of this whole thing. She writes, we're a week into self-isolation, and it's very upsetting to me to witness my husband standing at the living room window, staring aimlessly into space with tears running down his cheeks. It breaks my heart to see him like this. And I've thought very hard about how I can cheer him up. I've even considered letting him in, but rules are rules. Some of you have had to make some really difficult decisions, haven't you? Some maybe weren't so difficult. So, but we have. We've had, to, we've had to make some hard choices at times. And I know that. And I, again, it's been a struggle. But I think it's just good to be honest about the fact that we're messed up people. We, we have issues and we need to encourage one another. And we need that honesty in ourselves. And so I've been saying this. I've said this for years. But I think church should be more like a 12-step meeting, kind of like an AA meeting, something where we're real honest. So I'll just start this, all right? Hi, I'm Jeff, and I've paid a lot of stupid tax. And you say, thank you very much. And let's just, let's just keep that kind of spirit as we go through this series called Stupid Tax. And what I want to do is, I, I just want to welcome everybody to what I'm calling 
uh, Stupid Taxpayers Anonymous, STPA. So, all right, welcome to that. This is who we are. And uh, um, if we choose, if we choose to be honest about this stuff, I think we can learn, and that's what this whole series is about, to pay less stupid tax in our lives. So just to make sure we're all on the same page, all right? Stupid tax is what you pay. It's the embarrassment or the pain or the struggle or the money or whatever it is. When you knew something better or when you had a chance to learn but you didn't learn and you just went ahead and did or didn't do the right thing, whatever it was, and then you have to pay a price for it. It's like somebody said to me this week, they, they texted me and they said something. They said, I'm going to spend the rest of the week writing checks on stupid tax. Anybody feel like they've written a lot of checks on stupid tax because they've done? All of us have paid that kind of price. All of us have dealt with it. So in this series, what we're looking at is we're looking at how we can pay less. And what we're going to do is look at the lives of characters in Scripture, in the Bible. And the idea behind it is not really so much always to learn because they did something stupid, but just to see what did God do there? What did they do? How can we learn? How can, I talked about this last week. How can we be humble learners and have open hearts and invite God to speak, not just in a general way to us, but I want you to listen to this talk now. Listen. I believe if you're paying attention, God will speak through his word to a specific thing in a specific part of your life, because God's Word is alive. And so that's what we're doing in this series. We're going to jump in this week then and talk about a biblical character that actually has no recorded name. In fact, all, he's, all we know him as is an expert in the law. But the idea behind this is not to pay attention to him so much, but to learn what happens in his encounter with Jesus. And, 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 and hopefully hear what God says to us about that. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love to have you turn to Luke chapter 10. Now, we're not providing Bibles at this point, but, but if you have, you can look on your phone if you want, but pick up at Luke chapter 10 and begin at verse 25. I'm going to put this up on the screen so everybody can see it, but I'd like to have you follow along because this, this stuff is really important, all right? This is an encounter that a guy who's known as an expert in the law has with Jesus. Let's see what we can learn from it, and we'll jump in and look. So the scripture says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' response is, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus' response is, you answered correctly. You do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, now, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. Now, just speaking parenthetically here, there was an assumption that Jesus was speaking to Jews, and so in their mind, the guy that was going from Jerusalem to Jericho was a Jew. And so it says when he, when he was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, he was attacked by robbers, and they stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and then they went away, leaving him half dead. It says a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the guy laying there, he passed by on the other side. And so too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, now again, parenthetically, a Samaritan was somebody that had great, there was great animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. Deep-rooted distrust and in many ways hatred. And so this Samaritan sees the Jew lying on the side of the road. As he traveled, he came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he did what? 
he took pity on him. And he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, and he poured on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey. He brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii. In other words, he got some money out, and he gave it to the innkeeper. And he said, look after him, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So Jesus concludes his story, and then he says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law gave the obvious answer. He said, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. It's a great story. There's so many layers to this, so much stuff. And I think we can make some assumptions when we look at this guy who was, all we know him as, is an expert in the law. First of all, I think we can assume that this guy was smart and articulate. Because he was chosen to be one of those people who came up to confront Jesus to try to test him. Now you have to understand what was happening at the time. See, Jesus was healing people and doing all these things, and he had a large crowd following him, and it was very unsettling to the Jewish religious leaders who felt like they were losing their place. And so what they wanted was someone who would come up and trap Jesus in his words and probably do it in a public way so that people could, could know that he'd done it, and then they could say, look, this is guy is a phony. So this guy was chosen for that. So we know that he was probably very smart and articulated. We also know that he was educated simply by the acknowledgement of who he is. He is an expert in the law. And so here's Jesus in this place where there's probably a bunch of people around. And this guy comes up, and he's there to set Jesus up. And I can almost hear him so like, so Jesus, you know, so Jesus. What do I have to do to get to heaven, in, in other words? How do I get eternal life? And I so love, if you read Jesus, you see this over and over and over again. You see how he responds. Instead of just giving the guy an answer, what he does is he turns it back on him to let him find the answer, which is such a beautiful thing. So he says, well, okay, so you know, how do you read it? What, what would you say? And the guy gives the absolute appropriate answer. You love God with everything in you, and you love your neighbors yourself. And Jesus basically says, yep, conversation over. But then this is where the guy shows that he's maybe not as smart as he and the other guys around him thought he was. Because then he does something really interesting. Remember what we read? It said, but he wanted to, what's this word? He wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? This is very, okay, let me just give a little side lesson here, all right? When you find yourself start in a conversation with someone and you want to prove or justify yourself, you're generally speaking heading to stupid tax land. When you feel the need to prove your point, to drive it home, to justify whatever it is you're thinking, you are heading into a, a really, in many ways, a dangerous place. But that's exactly what this guy does. And then again, I love what Jesus does here. He doesn't just come back to him and say, well, duh, there's an obvious answer here, and give it to him. What does he do? He tells a story that can help the guy come to what is a very obvious conclusion. So Jesus tells this story. That, that ends with an obvious understanding. And this is, this is what's so interesting to me. Jesus gives this, you know, he responds. Instead of giving the answer, he gives him a story. And then he tells a story that's not only gripping, but it has an obvious moral and a clear hero. And we, of course, know who the hero is. The hero is, can anyone tell me? It's the Samaritan. It's the guy that would ordinarily be despised by Jews. And the obvious moral is, your neighbor is... Everyone. 
Your, your neighbors, everyone. See, this guy, what he wanted to validate was, I shouldn't have to treat certain people in a, in a kind way. I shouldn't have to love them as I love myself because they're not really my neighbor. What he wanted to do was validate or prove his point or justify himself. But what Jesus clearly gives in this story is, the hero is the Samaritan, the guy that Jews don't like. And the answer to your question your neighbor is everyone. So he asks the guy, and the guy has no choice. I mean, you can't answer it any other way. He says, who do you think was the neighbor to the guy? Well, I'm sure he almost had his head hanging down like it was the guy that helped him out. And Jesus just says, that's right. That's exactly right. This is an interesting thing. And this is so often, this is the moral here. This is so profound. Jesus is saying, your neighbor, and he's saying this to that guy, and this is where we need to have humble learning hearts. He's saying it to us. Now listen to me. Your neighbor, whom you are to love as you love yourself, is everybody. Let's say that word together. Everybody. Let's try to get seven or eight people to say it out loud. All right, come on. Everybody. Your neighbor is what? It's everybody, whether you agree with them, whether you disagree with them, whether you like how they live, whether you like how they behave, or not, it doesn't matter. Your neighbor is... It is everybody, everybody. And this is, this is an interesting thing because I think this is so often where we go off the rails. Jesus gives this moral lesson, your neighbor is everybody, but I think there are layers in this. And I think maybe one of the more subtle layers that it can be hard to see sometimes, but I think is there is Jesus is actually saying it really isn't even about who your neighbor is. What it's really about is you. Because it's you that wants to define, well, this is my neighbor or this is not my neighbor. It's you that looks at people and you make judgments on them and you call them out and say, this is what that. And he's really saying it's not about them, who they are. Your neighbor is your neighbor because you choose this in your heart. And actually, I think the message here, just as much as, and your neighbor is everybody, I think the message is this. First, you have to look at your own heart. And this is something we so get mixed up with because we look at other people and we go, look at what they're doing and how they're acting and they don't agree with me on this or that. And so what we're doing is we're focusing on this behavior, their behavior, instead of looking at what happens in us. Because the choice we make on whether or not we love our neighbors as ourselves is not based on how they behave. It is based on what's happening in us. Did you get that? Not based on what they're doing. So often people say, well, if they deserve it or if they, they earn my respect, then they'll get my respect. Or if they do this or they don't do that or if they agree with me, then I will treat them in a certain Jesus. No, 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 no. This isn't even so much about them. This is about you. First, you look at what's happening in your own heart. And the reason we fall and pray to this so often is we're judging other people, we're criticizing them, whether they're political figures or whether they're people in a community or whether our next door neighbor or one of our family members, it doesn't matter. And we're making judgments on them and we're, we're like looking at them when Jesus is communicating, this isn't about them. See, because if everybody's your neighbor, then it means the ill-behaved people are still your what? They're still your neighbor. The people that act like jerks are still your neighbor. The people who break the law or who do things that you don't like, they're still your what? They're your neighbor. See, it doesn't depend on them. It depends on you. First, first look at your own heart. What's going on there? This is profoundly important. 
And the reason we don't do it is it's always easier for me to look at somebody else and criticize them than it is to look at me and be honest about where I'm at. Come on, anybody agree with that? It's always much easier to look at you than it is for me to look at, at me and be honest about where I am. So if you've been around TVC, most of you know this about me. I pretty much steer clear of political issues on the whole especially hot issues, and I do it for a number of reasons. Number one, I, I don't want to tick people off any more than I need to. And half the time I feel like I don't have enough intelligent things to say about something to really address it, so I just avoid that. And probably the biggest reason is I just don't want to muddy the waters because to me the answer is not getting the political system fixed. The answer is Jesus, always Jesus, every time Jesus. And so I avoid those things pretty consistently. And especially hot topics like the demonstrations that have been happening all across our country and, and now around the world. I just, I just would avoid this stuff. I mean, let's just be honest. You know, this whole thing, Black Lives Matter. I am a white 64-year-old guy in Barry County. And what do I have to say? What, what difference can I even make? What, how can I, I, I can't fix this. And so my goal would be to just say, I just, I just want to avoid this. And that's kind of been in my thinking. But to be honest, I found myself struggling with this like crazy. And wanting to avoid it and wanting to not think about it, but being aware that this is happening. And, and let me just say this to you. I am well aware that the world is full of injustice. And I hope you can hear this. I'm also very aware that the relatively privileged and healthy and really in many ways rich life that I have led is not just because I've been a hard worker and kept my head down. There's some of that. But I'm smart enough to know that some of the privilege and blessing that I enjoy has come on the backs of injustice done to a small group that another group can gain from that injustice. And though I did not overtly commit any of those acts or intend those things, I have enjoyed some of the privilege that has come as a result of those. And I'm just aware of that. And I'm aware that I can't maybe fix things, but that there is a connection. And if I were to be Brutally honest, I would say that I'd rather ignore it, but I've been wrestling with this. I think in some ways, and I know some of you are upset with me for even talking about this, I'm sorry. I have to follow God on this. I think this may be in many ways a watershed moment for many of us to simply just wake up to where we are personally. So I'm wrestling with this, and I'm just going, God, I don't want to talk about this, I don't want to think about it, I'd rather not listen to the news. And then I had this thought. Talk to Peter Farmer. Now, most of you are not going to know who Peter Farmer is. But Peter Farmer is a black guy in TVC. One of the few. He is like the piece of pepper in the salt shaker, all right? Peter has served here at the Hastings campus in the cafe for quite a long time now and done it with great love and great joy. He's just the nicest guy to be around. I love Peter. We... We engage and torment each other and tease and everything. And this thought came to me, just call Peter and see if you can get together with him and just listen to what he has to say. That's all I wanted to do was just listen to what he had to say. 
because I felt like I had never heard Peter complain about being here in Whiteberry County and being a black man. And I thought, well, that's the way it should be. That's just all right. And so I couldn't get away from it. Just, so I, I got his number and I texted him. I said, hey, can we get together? And we met one day. I love his heart, honestly. But we met one day for about an hour and a half. And by the time I was done talking to him, all I had intended to do was just listen. But after I heard what he had to say, I felt that I should ask if he would come and talk with us as a church family here in rural White Berry County and just hear his heart and his experience. And I knew that it could cost him. I knew that it could cost him because I know, I know our community on some levels. But he courageously said yes. And so he's here to talk with me about this. So would you please, I'm asking you, Give a warm welcome to Peter Farmer as he comes to the platform. Come on up, Peter. Come on up here. You got to move fast, all right? So, um, first of all, thank you for coming. I, I really do appreciate it. Um, let, let's just talk a little bit about can we just start with our church? Like, what's it been like to be a black guy in lily white? You know, I always say about TVC is we're very uh, interracial. We have medium white, dark white, and light white. And we're not, that's not far from the truth. Come on, is that, is that true? It, it really is. This is just the community we live in. But you also happen to live here, and you started coming to this church. So what's it been like? Um, it's been good for me and my family. Um, you can really feel the love in this place. And we were searching for a church at the time, so when we got here and we felt the love and we felt connected, it was great. But as a black man and like you said, rule. I mean, you're out in our lobby week <laughs> yeah. after week there, and you're the black guy with all the white people. What's... I feel like I got to make the cautious effort to connect more. Um, not just because... Why? Because I can feel that people want to talk to me. And they want to get to know me, but they don't know how. Like, he's a black guy. <laughs> yeah. Which is not necessarily a, a racist no. thing. No, not at all. More of a, I don't want to say the wrong thing kind of thing. And so you're there, and where you just wish people could feel comfortable and relaxed, you feel this kind of like, I don't know what to do. More of a... A feeling of, if I don't make the first step, nobody's going to make the second step. So I pride myself on being outgoing, and Cassie, my wife, can tell you that I embarrass her all the time. <laughs> um, just a trip to Walmart is a fun experiment for me to see how many people I can meet. <laughs> In Barry County? Yeah, which is fun, because <laughs> you'll see them walk down the aisles, and I'm walking down the aisle with my wife, and they'll do a double take. And it's like, I saw you. Hi. How you doing? <laughs> so so you, you feel loved and you, you like the church and everything, but you're aware of this, this difference. Yeah. That you have to live with, like, every time you come here. Yeah. It's there. So let's just dig a little deeper. You live in Barry County mm -hmm. and have for a while now. H have you experienced, like, something beyond that, not just discomfort, but because, uh, you're, because you're black. 
Yeah, the first couple of months I was here, I was working in Grand Rapids. I didn't have a car yet, so my now wife asked her brother to pick me up from work. And sometime between Middleville and Caledonia, we got pulled over. He didn't know why, because he was on cruise control at 56 miles an hour, and it was 55. So when the cop approached the car, he tried to talk. Then I find out why we were pulled over, and the cops kind of shushed him. And then Your brother-in-law, who's white yeah. and driving, gets shushed by the law enforcement officer. Mm -hmm. And he asked me where we were coming from. So I told him, no. Coming from Grand Rapids, I work at Best Buy, um, heading home from work. So he asked where we're heading. And I said, Hastings. We live in Hastings, so we're heading home. Then he asked me, do I know if there's any drugs or guns in a car? And uh, answering honestly, I told him, it's not my car, so I don't know. No. Your brother-in-law is kind brother of a bad guy? So yeah. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> right. I'm just joking. So I don't know. So questioning, he asked me for my life, my ID, if you want to know, you know, a couple of more questions. And then the one that resonated with me was the only question he asked my brother-in-law was, did he feel safe? What? So he doesn't really hardly even talk to your brother-in-law, does he? The, who's the driver, but he just zeroes in on you, and then he wants to know if he feels safe. How does that feel? It was hard. Um, but it's something that living in New York I've dealt with before. You were raised in the Bronx, you were telling me. And I went to high school in predominantly white area, Riverdale, New York. And I had a lot of white and Jewish friends. And we would walk to school together. And there's been times where I've been stopped and frisked while my friends sit there and watch. And nothing was said to them, nothing was done to them. And these are white individuals. And I felt ashamed at the time to be black. So, when I sat with Peter and talked to him, what I realized was, I, can, I cannot really relate to what he's saying. I have no context in which I have felt that I was on an ongoing basis being singled out because of some singularity that I had that was different than the people around me. I went home and I told Ann about the, the incident of being pulled over. And I said, I don't even know how to relate to that. And she said, you would not have done well with that at all. <laughs> but this has kind of been your life in a way. Yeah, I mean, there's good experiences too. I've had it where I've actually been speeding. We just had our daughter. Um, and you know how babies are, they keep you up at night. Um, and I snoozed my alarm, well I thought I did, but I hit stop. And I woke up late for work. 
and this is when I was working at the bank, so, you know, banking hours, 8 to 5, you have to be there. And I was driving 65 through Middleville. <laughs> and, well, that wasn't intelligent, really, yeah, at all, was it? Wasn't. it? No. And I got pulled over. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, get your stuff on your seat so that all you have to do is reach to get it, keep your hands on the steering wheel, and be nice, be polite. And he walks up, all calm, license registration, checks me out like he normally does, comes back, did you know why I pulled you over? I said, yeah, I was speeding, I'm sorry. I'm late for work, just got a newborn, overslept. I'm trying to keep my job, basically. And he said, very relatable. Him and his wife just had a baby. He completely understands. And, but it's better for me to arrive alive so I can get home alive to my daughter. And I'm free to go. Didn't ticket you? No. Nope. You so you've experienced both sides of this. And, I mean, that, that's always a wonderful thing. But you experience this thing that, that the vast majority of us, we simply, we don't have a context for this. So this, this whole BLM thing, can, you know, I asked you this when we met. <laughs> can, can you just talk for a second about your perspective on this? I understand this is just one, one man's perspective, but what, what, what's your perspective? For the particular message of the movement, I feel is a valid movement. I'm not saying go out and donate, go out and protest with everybody. I'm not saying be part of it. I'm not saying back it. I'm saying the message behind the movement is a valid movement, a message. Um, and I like, I had a couple of conversations which, which with Which is, my life often feels unsafe and yeah. out of sync because, because I'm black. Yeah. And I've spoken to people about this um, and their stance on it, and a lot of the time it's all lives matter. And my thing to that is I usually like, try to take it to Scripture because I'm trying to be a good Christian. We're all trying to be good Christians. And I take it to Scripture, and my favorite one is in Luke or Matthews. You can find it, um, about the shepherd and the sheep. And the shepherd loses one sheep out of the hundred. And he leaves the 99 where they're safe, they're privileged, they're fed, they're, they're well taken care of, and he goes to find the one. And that upset the 99 because they're like, what about us? Doesn't our life matter? And he simply, you know, basically responds, you're safe. I've taken care of you. But until we find that one, which I use as the black person, how can all lives matter? So when they're saying black lives matter, doesn't mean that the 99 doesn't matter anymore. It means you're, you're fine right now. But until we matter too, how can you say all lives matter? And I think that's what upsets people when you say that, is because then you're saying all lives matter in the 99, but my life as a black man doesn't. And, and again, it's so hard for us because we don't have context to really know what it feels like to have spent Really, you, you're saying your whole life, and you've lived in many ways a relatively privileged life in a lot of ways, but you've felt this being ostracized. You, uh, he talked to me about you see racism as different than prejudice. Racism is more of a hatred or an intentional kind of damage where prejudice, I think you would describe as 
Like, I don't even always am fully aware of it, but how I treat people. Yeah. So, I mean, we know we can't fix this whole thing. But, I mean, what, like, what can we do? What, in Barry County, here we are out in White Barry County, what? Well, I love your message about searching your heart. Because I do believe that we don't have as much as a racial problem as we have a prejudice problem. I feel like we've evolved from being just racist to being harboring those feelings still of can I trust this person like I trust my neighbor that looks like me? Can I leave my kids with this person like I would leave them? And it's like you said, you're normally not intentionally thinking of those things, but it comes up when you're putting that situation. And if you are aware of that, then you can work on it. And you can change your heart. It's the only time you can actually go out and change someone else's heart. And if you're not doing the work for yourself, how can you say what side of the fence are you on? You know, I, I love it that he says he liked my message, <laughs> first look at your heart. Because I wrote the whole thing because I had lunch with him and spent an hour and a half and I was a broken mess at the end of it. And he said to me, because I said, what do we do? And this is what he said to me, I think we have to start by looking at ourselves. So while I'm sitting with him, I realize, because <clears throat> you know, most people I know that are like me, they're like, I haven't done anything really bad and I have black friends. Therefore, I can't possibly be anything wrong. And he just, basically, you just challenged me to say, it doesn't mean that you can't at times, prejudice can't kind of creep up. And so we need to be looking at our hearts. I mean, I'll be the first one to admit that I had prejudice. Sometimes, I, when I was growing up, I would look at white people as to be fear, fearful of them, to be by myself with them. And that was because the talks in my household, you know, stay with your kind, you're safer in numbers, right. Right. stuff like that. So going into high school, knowing I was going to be in this area where nobody really looked like me, except for, let's be honest, the basketball players and football players yeah. <laughs> that were going to that school to help them win championships, and which is one me. me. <laughs> um, I had to figure that out myself. I had to actually sit down with them at lunch. I insimulated myself into their conversations to kind of figure out is what I was taught at home is really what these people think of me. And some of my best friends are white. And it took time to change my heart. It took time to change what I was taught. Um, but there's still times where me and my friends will be out and we will be shopping and I'll be the only one being followed around the store. And I, I know that, but I feel sorry now. I don't feel hatred. I feel sorry that she feels that way, that she has to follow me. I feel sorry that she must have been taught that by whoever was in her home. And I still bless her heart because it's not you, it's what you've learned. All right, so. First, look at our own hearts. What is there a larger picture of what we can do as a church real quick? 
like I said, I love TVC. I love the people here. They're very welcoming. I love the way you guys do your outreach. For our small rural church, you've done outreach in Detroit. You've done at Dominican Republic. And let's be honest, those places are not inherently white. Right. Right. <laughs> so you have those experiences where you've come in contact with people of color. And I think that message needs to be spread more so that people can get a general picture of those interactions and can decide for themselves what steps they need to take to encourage those interactions. And I think one thing you said to me, I'm just going to repeat this, but he said, and I think the TVC should just let it be known that racism is not something we would tolerate as part of our church. And what I said was, as long as I have any say, that will be my stand. But I do have to look here because I'm aware that there are times when I think, I have black friends and I would never, that there are little subtle ways in which I am treating people differently at times because they're black. And maybe if I look at my own heart first, that can change. And I'm just going to say it up front, you're watching a line or you're here, don't email me. <laughs> I'm not going to argue this with you. Which of the three was the neighbor of the Jewish man who was robbed? It was the Samaritan. Our neighbor is, can anybody tell me? Everybody. 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 Let's check our own hearts first. Let's look. And this is going to sound like an ad advertisement, but I'm just going to say it again. I think we need to talk about this with each other. I think we need to talk about this in our life groups. I think we need to talk about this in our tribe. If you're not, you know, we, we uh, have been talking about tribes, TVC tribes, two or more people where you just you make this commitment to be intentional in your relationship. You can find out more about it. You'll see it on the screen there. And, and, and make the decision. Make the decision to connect and then to look at your heart, to work. I don't think I'm going to fix myself overnight, but I think if I'm open to looking at me, I can grow and change. Amen? Amen. Would you lead us in prayer, and then we're going to go in at all of our campuses to a time of worship? Yeah. Uh, Father God, I come to you just one of your humble servants, and I ask that you... Bless the message that Jeff has given us. Bless this interview. And bless the hearts of everyone listening. Ask that you send a blessing over the nation that is suffering right now. And that you work in your way yes. through us to help heal this nation. Yes. I just want your will to be done in all of us around the world so that we can move into a phase where we welcome our neighbors and we love our neighbors as we love ourselves. In your name, amen. Amen. Let's thank Peter for sharing with us. Thank you, buddy. Thank you for listening to the Thornapple Valley Church Podcast. If you found this message encouraging, we invite you to share it. For more information, visit tvcweb.com.
www.thepowerofthenow.com.